Hey, Potential Podcast listeners. Thanks for tuning in once again to the Potential Podcast. Before we begin today's episode, we'd like to take a moment and talk to you about something that means a lot to us. This podcast was created to be a source of fun and entertainment, and although we love to nerd out with you, one thing we do take serious is mental health. If you think you might be feeling depressed, stressed, anxious, or overwhelmed, then our sponsor, BetterHelp, is here to help you. BetterHelp offers licensed therapists who are trained to listen and help you. You can talk to your therapist in a private, safe, online environment at your convenience. There's a broad range of expertise with BetterHelp's 20,000-plus therapist network that gives you access to help that may not be available in your area. All you do is simply fill out a questionnaire to help assess your specific needs, and then you get matched with a therapist in just under 48 hours. After that, you can schedule secure video and phone sessions. Plus, you can exchange unlimited messages, and everything you share is completely confidential. And at any time, you can request a new therapist at no additional charge. Join the over 3 million people who have taken charge of their mental health with an experienced BetterHelp therapist. Our listeners will get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com potential. That's betterhelp.com slash potential. Once again, that's 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash potential. Take charge of your mental health with BetterHelp. And remember, know your potential. This episode is a sponsored partnership by Keen. So, you finally decided that you want to seek psychic advice. But now you're just sitting there and you're asking yourself, why Keen? Shouldn't I just look into psychics near me? It would probably be a lot easier. Our response? Why would you? Keen connects you with talented tarot readers and astrologers. If you want to get a reading on Keen, it's super easy to start. They've been giving trustworthy readings since 1999, over 35 million to be exact. All you have to do is create an account, and you'll be able to choose from hundreds of readers who are online right now. These readers each have unique specialties designed to provide a deeper understanding of your situation. Want to learn more about your love life? What's your financial future look like? Are you looking for a closure from a deceased loved one? Keen has a reader ready to provide clarity and insight. You can choose whichever reader best suits your needs, and you'll be able to connect via phone call or text. Just go to trykeen.com potential. As a new customer on Keen, you can try your first 10 minutes for only $1.99, which is up to $99 in savings. Once again, that's trykeen.com potential. Get your first 10 minutes for $1.99. And remember, know your potential. It's alive. It's alive. My creation is alive. It's just a goldfish. You just gave it some food. But it's alive. Yeah, Chris, that's, you know, what they do. They swim and they're alive. Right, let's just get the episode started. Potential Podcast. Well, welcome back to another potential podcast with me, Taylor Sokol, your host. 
as well as my illustrious and uh, sometimes maniacal co-host, Chris Dewar. How you doing, Chris? <laughs> Welcome to the Badenture Podcast. I'm excited, man. We are <laughs> I can tell. Days, <laughs> um, we're days away from Halloween. Yes, so we my are. My favorite holidays of the year. And, um, you know, I think we're still we're still seeing a lot of spirit out there, which is really, you know, glad to see I again, because so. this is a this is a challenging year where we're not there's not gonna be many states or counties that are going to allow trick or treating. No, we've been doing COVID for months, but not in the fun way. So it's going to be it's going to be different. But I think the spirit of Halloween is still there. And it's been really fun this whole month being able to do all these Halloween themed podcasts. It's Halloween themed episodes, watching a lot of uh horror based movies some TV really shows. good some way too cheesy and wow <laughs> the 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 broad spectrum of what makes a great and well worth watched horror movie or halloween movie to those you watch them because they're so bad they're movies good. exactly and you know that's that's kind of a broad topic we're gonna kind of be breaching on both sides for this episode today Yes, sure. uh, because we're going to be kind of going, um, not only talking about today, but if we can't talk about today, we got to, before we talk about today, we got to talk about what came before. Great, Scott. Let's got to get in our time machine and go back in time because you think, okay, we, we talked about in our Halloween on screen episode, there's so much about Halloween that's so exciting because there's so many creatures, there's so many monsters, there's so much lore. Well, you would have had none of that without having somewhere to start. And of course, before even we had the age of television and film, you had radio for a short period of time. And then before that, you just had books. You had, you know, novels. And before that, you had people run fires, tell <laughs> stories. You had, you had cavemen running from mammoths, and that was horror enough uh, <laughs> with their <laughs> short skirts made of wool and stuff. But <laughs> you, you think about it, we have these, you know, there there was an age of these kind of great uh, writers writing, starting to write horror. And it's not just guys. It was, you know, we got some girls in there too. And then we started having the age of film. And we had those early pictures like Nosferatu, which actually was not supposed to be made. It was technically illegal because they did not pay for the rights to use Dracula. So that's why they came up with Nosferatu. And that was a silent film that portrayed the basic Dracula story. And then when you actually mentioned around the same period, a lot of these movies came out, you had something like King Kong, you know, so we're having this uh, age of new movies coming out, but horror became a huge genre. Yes. And the one company that did it, the, the biggest, and you know, there wasn't that many movie companies back then. No. There was one company that really had the uh, monopoly on these horror movies and that was universal pictures absolutely and their reign of creating these iconic characters these iconic films that have stood the test of time and created some amazing stuff to this very day without them we wouldn't have be where we're at today in form of cinema and still wouldn't be but going back from all the way starting from the 1920s to the 1950s is that realm of amazing film work starting from the very beginning, of course, is 1920s. Uh, and this, again, still was the era before there was any talking. And this is before, before the, the talkies, as yes. they were called, uh, when they didn't quite figure out the technology of how to have, you know, at the same time, the 
film work going on with the audio. So typically it was all filmed and it would be just played over piano. Yes. You know, sometimes a person would literally be in the movie theater playing piano to a screen or they would just record piano and play that on some kind of speaker. So we're going to start off with our episode here with our first kind of classic monster, which is the Phantom of the Opera. And that debuted in 1925 based on Gaston LaRue's novel of the famous opera ghost who haunts the Paris Opera House. And the thing about this film was it's it's actually oddly the longest of all these films we're going to talk about today. Yeah, It was about an hour 40, and most of these are about an hour 10, hour 15. Yeah, it's quite long for a film of its time. For a silent film, Yeah, which, yes, there's those moments where it looks like dialogue's happening, so there's like a cue card that comes up and, you know, kind of heightens the tension. It's a lot of just watching this kind of moving imagery. And so it, it, knowing the story very well, knowing the plot, knowing all the elements it was one that wasn't necessary to watch the whole thing in entirety for us for us modern nerds it's a little different i kind of i kind of fast forwarded through this one to get yeah. more to the phantom bits because i knew the story and it was not going to be anything like left yeah full disclosure we have to say for you guys listening we did actually go back and properly go back and watch all these films yes, eight films we're going to be talking about in this first half yeah. we watched all eight of them in the last week so we we did our research here oh yeah but we have the great lon cheney who plays the Phantom of the Opera. Yes. And this is a really cool role because first off, the mask that he wears, you know, we're so used to now the musical, which we'll get to later with the kind of half mask, but it's a full mask that covers the nose and the eyes. And it actually has this kind of breathable mesh that kind of moves when he talks. Mm-hmm. Which is really, I thought it was an interesting kind of design element. And of course he's got the, the long hat, he's got the cape, all the, all the works. But the true, like, you know, it's the iconic thing is when when um, the reveal of his face is he got this really demonic looking skull like makeup on. And it really it's it's iconic. I mean, that's the moment you see in all the great uh, when you see like a, um, a video montage of the classic monster movies is that makeup. And I mean, that's what stands out the most of this film. Yeah. Also what stands out on top of the makeup is what was really great with Lon Chaney is following the success of him. He was in the Hunchback of Notre Dame. Mm-hmm. Uh, when he was in that, he had the freedom to create his own makeup. So this is the, one of the first times of a star doing his own creation uh, where it, you know, was kind of a thing that was synonymous with Lon Chaney that he almost went full method. He created the whole look for himself. I think and- so. And he, yeah, he didn't, he's even credited as part writer, part director of this as well. Like he kind of yes. helped manage everything, although it's not, you know, he's just the star. And and you got to remember nowadays, although, yes, we see from time to time a star be a writer or a director as well as star in the movie. Back then, stars were even more iconic because there were a lot fewer of them than, you know, today we have thousands of stars. Back then, there was only so many people, so they could get away yeah. with stuff like that. But it is a cool thing to think of, you know, coming up with a full creation that becomes legend in the lore of Monster. But moving on from the Phantom, I wanted to quick make a quick note here. We had Carl Lemley was the producer of this film. He did a ton of producing. I mean, I think he's credited over like 900 films, but this is all like silent film era. So a lot of it is shorter pictures, all the stuff. But his son, Carl Lemley Jr., 
will become a huge name in producing these horror movies. He's credited for the producing of, I think, the next like five or six we're going to talk about. So his company was, was doing pretty well to get all these monster movies. But going next to the caped vampire count himself, Dracul, Dracula. I thought you were first going to say the next Cape Crusader. <laughs> Not yet. Um, yeah. Yes, of course. <laughs> no, uh, <laughs> Dracula coming out in 1931, uh, of course, based on Bram Stoker's novel. And this is a famous one for Bella Lugosi, who plays the famous Count. And we have a few players here that we're going to see. I mean, Bella included, you know, he was a big star. We see him again in The Wolfman. But uh, we have a couple stars here. We see in a couple other films we're going to talk about David Manners, who plays Jonathan Harker. He's also the mummy. And Dwight Fry, who actually, he was one of my favorites of watching these movies. He plays Renfield in this. And he plays essentially the Igor kind of like character in the Frankenstein films that we'll talk about in a bit. Um, and then we also have Edward Van Sloan, who plays Van Helsing. We see him again in The Mummy and Brighter Frankenstein. So you see, it's not just, you know, we see it from time to time again in our time, stars in similar genres, but also in this time. Well, and that's what we're going to talk about is a great thing about these films is this was the first, this was the, you know, you have all these great films these days in the shared universe with the Marvel Cinematic uh, DC. This uh, Universal started with these movies, this kind of almost shared inverse where you got a lot of the same, you know, people, this is kind of like all in one whole universe where a lot of these characters were. And the fact that a lot of these actors were coming back playing some of these parts it just was kind of exciting because yes, you're right. There are not a lot of big name stars, but the fact is a lot of some of these other stars were getting an opportunity to be in multiple pictures. Mm -hmm. uh, and almost, this is probably the start of some of these big picture deals where people are like, okay, we've signed you up for a six picture deal. Mm -hmm. And there's even movies post these kind of individual films of, you know, each film has one classic monster. There are movies past certs, but the Wolfman meets Frankenstein, Frankenstein meets Dracula. Some of the uh, first yeah, crossovers. Yeah, crossovers. Yeah. Even like the Abbott and Costello, you know, uh, movies where it's playing the parody comedy element. You still got Bela Lugosi, Lon Chaney Jr., you know, all that kind of, it's fun to see those stars taking a turn and also doing the comedy element. But, you know, the Dracula movie, I the thing I was kind of disappointed about was I wish they had spent more time in the castle. Um, they do take a, right off the bat, a slight change in plot. Um, it's actually Jonathan Harker who's supposed to be at the castle, but they do Remfield instead, who in the book and how it usually is portrayed in the movies is he's an insane asylum patient that becomes kind of like an assistant to Dracula under he's possessed, you know, but they kind of took a different route for this time, but he was really fun, this Dwight Fry guy. I thought yeah. he really kind of was one of the best parts of the movie because you see him... He slowly turns into a madman and he really starts off the movie this very innocent. It was definitely the highlight for me. I was like, oh, this is great. I have to go to the castle to do my job. And he's very perky, kind of. Yeah, you know, very cheerful. And that kind of every man, you know, he's very naive. And yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then you got Bella Lugosi, who they, they, they do a lot of these shots where they just show a very close up shot of his eyes and yeah. his eyes are like lit up but everything else in his face is in shadow because of course Dracula's power is that he can overcome people. He can possess people. The thing of course, in this film that was never going to be done very well for the time period is Dracula is known to be turning into a bat, 
where it can turn into a wolf. And so often it's this little rubber bat on a string, you know, flying around and flying into a window or something. So, you know, you have to kind of forgive some of that. But first one of, you know, or Phantom of the Opera, although it was all filmed in this great kind of actual opera house, these really cool gothic sets, especially of the cast, a lot of these darker tones. And, you know, for the time period, that was a true horror classic, you know, even though no blood. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this was this was the one of the first supernatural horror films, uh, and that you know gives us one of the most iconic lines: "Ah, children of night, what music they make!" And of course, the voice Bela Lugosi gave this this voice, this idea for years to come. This this Dracula uh, voice, and they know this is how we talk. So it had like it just he had a, he had a power to him. Uh, he yes. had this commanding presence. Although uh, I, what I love about his performances, he's very slow and smooth he's very yeah. in control even when he goes to attack he doesn't like we see a lot of vampire movies now where it's like <laughs> no it's not he's very slow moving to the neck the only time he moves really fast is if it's a cross or you know he's like ah yeah i know it's kind of fun but that that leads us into uh the tall man himself the man of bolts and uh body parts galore uh this is such a funny uh mis- conception about this character it's actually frankenstein's creature or his creation but for a long time now people have just thought that the creature's name is frankenstein which is not it's dr frankenstein and it's his creation it's his creatures his yeah, creation. He, the creature never had a name and no first, it's so called if, even in the book mary shelley's book it's the creature yeah. that's literally the name so that's always been a fun little fun fact but um this will be a uh, direction by James Whale, who's going to direct a few of these movies coming up here. And um, the two actors I want to talk about from this film are Colin Clive. And then of course the great Boris Karloff who plays the creature. Uh, great iconic pair here. You got Colin Clive playing Dr. Frankenstein, the man who's going to go to the ends of the earth to get this, this idea in his head that he can reanimate dead tissue. He can, yeah, he, you know, bring a body back to life. That's his creates- kind of- the iconic this is what for years to come creates the iconic the mad scientist he is the, the mad scientist all, yes. and you know it's alive yeah. it's alive yeah. and we get boris karloff playing the creature which you know this is a man who not only will have a huge career in kind of horror and monster movies but just a legendary actor of the screen this isn't a role that has you know really any dialogue he's got a, a few moans a few screams yeah, a few callers, grunts but- it's all this physical performance really sells this, you know. And again, also in the eyes, it's in the eyes, just mm-hmm. like, and he really does. And there's all these great, those great close-up shots of like when he's first there and just like, he's just walking in and there's this, this dead eye expression. But as the film progresses, he just has this, just in his physicality and his language, you just see the, the emotion he invokes and everything. But what, what powerful like intimidating foe and mm-hmm. character that you and the audience is like oh my god this is this is really scary like uh, you know stay away and just what a what an icon which leads us into boris's next big role the mummy which if you've seen the brendan Fraser mummy a lot of that was inspired by this version of the mummy this one doesn't have a lot of action to it there's a few moments um you know he's supposed to be this ancient mummy that comes back to life you know a texas red and he is he does start this film off 
that classic, you know, wrapped up in all the bandages, you know, he, he he's very old and the face has all this makeup on. But then within one scene, he is a well-dressed, but still has a kind of haunted face. And much like uh, Bella Lugosi, a lot of it is these eyes, picture of the eyes, because he's got the power to control people. Yeah. But this was kind of an interesting film. We had, you know, I said a few returning players. We had David Manners back from Dracula and we had, Edward Van Sloan back in this film. So again, that idea of these players being used in multiple films. And um, I like this one because it was a little more of a lore to it with the kind of ancient Egyptian kind of, and it was him trying to find like his long lost love, which is again, a big plot point that we'll get to in the Brendan Fraser movie later on. But um, this commanding performance by Boris Karloff, this is of course a role where, he does get to speak a lot more because well coming actually, off of Frankenstein this really he is the he is the powerhouse in this movie there's a mm-hmm. lot i mean of course his presence in any scene but the dialogue that he delivers i mean he i mean to set the stage for what would be come later this iconic character um there's just so many great scenes and some of the dialogue where he's just talking to people it's like you almost feel like if you're the actors in the set it'd be a little intimidating to be up against this oh yeah i mean because he's already really tall looking and he's got like you know this outfit on he's got this kind of uh uh classic you know he's got the fez hat he's got this kind of (laughs) outfit but again there's kind of a darkness under his eyes and this bit of old age kind of you know wrinkles and um you know and boris will 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 get to two movies back as frankenstein but um next we have actually one i i think was one of my favorites of all of these original ones we're going to talk about today the invisible man came out November of 1933 based off A.G. Wells novel and again directed by James Well he's back this is a you know number two for him here um this one was really well done for a 1933 that's the year it came out yeah like special effects in this are really well done because it's the whole idea of this man Dr. Jack Griffin played by Claude Rains who has found some kind of uh, through experiments and multiple experiments, he's found a potion that turns him fully invisible. So he has to keep putting on these bandages and things on over his face and his hands so that people can see him, but he's slowly going insane. So and of course, what a performance because Claude Rains, I mean, some of the great films, of course, you know, Casablanca, mm-hmm. uh, Mr. Smith goes to Washington and him as playing like the villain, it was just such a great role for him. And I just love that. He's like super violent, like even oh. from like near the beginning. I mean, something about this potion, this experiment he's done has turned him like a wild man and he gets very violent. At first, it's kind of like a teasing thing where he goes around and he's, you know, doing the typical like takes the hat off a guy and puts it in the water. Yeah, uh, the typical stuff that you have invisible powers you want to mess with people. You would go around and mess with people, but then it becomes violent to the point where he, um, he, you know, is all we know naked and he's running around causing mayhem to the point where people are dying. And there is this great role of this lady, uh, Uno O'Connor, who we get back in Bride of Frankenstein, which is the next up. And literally her role is this ultimate screamer. That is like what she does. This high-pitched wailing wench that just screams her head off all the time. And again, this is this is a great theme in a lot of these movies as, as women, unfortunately, were portrayed as just, there was a lot of the damsel distress and it was like, how great can you scream or how loud you can scream? 
<laughs> it's usually always a, a a notices the monster or the creature a very long slow <gasps> you know yeah. long pause and it's like gosh the reaction time is so slow but it really was these you know for 1933 you know we didn't have green screen and stuff but how they came up with whatever how they did to either film it one take with you know his his you know actual body and then however they did it when he's taken off pieces of his clothing and it and you know you see the background behind where his head would be it was all really pretty well done i thought for the time period i think it holds up really well and a great star performance by claude rains well next we get a sequel bride of frankenstein coming out here in 1935 this was still inspired by some of Mary Shelley's book. They didn't actually do all of the book in the first film. Yeah. So they kind of pulled elements from that. And then they kind of made up some elements uh, for this film. But this is a, a sequel where the monster did survive the first film. and Which we'll see in a lot of tropes of a lot of these. Oh, <laughs> uh, to come, the, the creature never dies. Yeah, Somehow exactly. Come sequel back. after sequel. Which, I mean, gosh, you look at the legacy of the you know 70s and 80s slasher films they always somehow die and then they're always back by some <laughs> mysterious or unexplained or really or, dumb or, way. or just ignored method it was all a dream <laughs> um but we have this character of ernest this Heger is kind of like a another kind of mad scientist character and he thinks that a good idea would be to make the Frankenstein creature a bride because everyone deserves love and even the creature deserves love. So the whole film is, you know, convincing Dr. Frankenstein, who of course is not in the best mental state because although yes, he created life, uh, his creature is a madman yeah. and is out killing things and uh, was, you know, it's not a sane person. So he has a lot of, uh, he has a lot of hesitation to want to, perform another experiment to bring forward another human life from dead tissue which is a logical logical thing for that to establish what happened in the first movie uh, did happen so it's not like yeah let's go do it you know he's no it's great that you know again we look at a lot of movies nowadays we often get sequels every two years or so so this was a, a four-year period so pretty good considering that a lot of these actors were in other movies at the time and, you know, you got Boris back, you got Clive back. Uh, I said you got that um, Dwight Fry back, who kind of plays the Igor type character. And this film had a lot of elements that were making me laugh because uh, it, it did have more of a horror to it, in my opinion. And we get that great scene in the woods, which is straight from the book, uh, when he meets the blind hermit, where he, yes. you know, he befriends this blind hermit. The blind hermit's trying to teach him not only English, but about food about drink about manners and so he's kind of become a little more humane he starts to talk which is like a really sweet because we talked about um you know finding you know we talked about this on the boys finding yeah. humanity in villains is such an important thing so that they're not all just monsters you know they have to have no this definitely uh i know like in the first movie you see a little bit of the humanity but not so much as that was more of a straight up this is the monster that's it where the original source material, Mary Shelley, because it's all set through, you see the perspective of the creature. And this one, you really get a lot of the humanity that he's just very mm -hmm. misunderstood. And of course, the more iconic where we, we Frankenstein can speak. And, you know, though he's speaking just like one syllables or, or here and there, 
it adds more to the layer of the performance of what Frankenstein's monster is. I mean, there's even that sweet moment where you know, the blind hermit is so happy to have a companion because he's been alone in the woods probably for years. And maybe yeah. he might have seen someone in probably 10, 15 years. And he's like praying to God and so thankful. And Frankenstein, the creature somehow can understand that. And he actually cries. And it yeah. was like really powerful. I was like, that's a really sweet moment because he can't help. He's got an admirable brain. You know, he can't help that he's, you know, what he is. He was, yeah. he was created that way. But inevitably we do get this brighter Frankenstein who doesn't show up till the last three minutes of the film. Literally, I did not realize that. The Luke Skywalker so of The Force Awakens for yeah. the bride here. <laughs> um, she shows up and all she really does is the hisses and cackle. Yeah. You know, and does this little twitchy like pigeon yeah. movements where her head is all over the Which place. Which was, was creepy. Yeah. But of course, she's not developed enough to understand that she's made for this other creature. And in the end, uh, the creature out of sadness and depression tells Dr. Frankenstein and his wife, get out of here. I'm going to blow us up. Yeah, he's <laughs> like, we belong dead. It's like, oh my gosh. In a like true a like do sex machina moment, like at the end, like the very last minute, he blows up their little like castle fort. Pull so it lever. <laughs> the old man scientist and the bride and the creature are blown up. So we believe. And I'm sure they'll be back for more sequels. Uh, next up we have the Wolfman. Yes. Oh. We're jumping ahead here now. Yeah, we're moving yeah. here now along to the 1940s. 1940s. Next, next big monster and, flick. And uh, this is cool because we, you know, we talked about in the Phantom movie that was Lon Chaney. Well, now we're getting his son, Lon Chaney Jr. Following in the footsteps. Larry Talbot, and who, of course, will turn into the famous Wolfman. And we have Bella Lugosi back. Who Claude plays, Rains is back as well. And Claude Rains is back as well. So again, we have these famous actors back, but... This was a cool one because, you know, this story has a lot to do with, you know, do you as a person kind of create the monster you are and then not just some, you know, curse or something like that? Because, yes, he's attacked by this wolf at one point, but we're so used to knowing the legend of a werewolf turns into a wolf when the full moon comes out. Yeah. That's not only the case for this. It's like the person kind of becomes the wolf and thing is throughout the whole film he's kind of a hunter himself he's like really egging on this girl for a date and like he's very he's moving it very forward like very quick he's kind of got that salesman kind of vibe to him he's like come on let's go out for a date let's go walk let's, you know so i think there's something about like he's a wolf himself and then you know you you become what you are and so then he's dealing with oh my gosh i'm murdering people because i'm turning into this actual wolf man and Pretty good, you know, makeup for the day. You know, his whole face is covered and he's got the nose and the teeth and he's got that kind of hunch walking around and, you know. Yeah, it plays into the physicality. It's, you know. Physicality. Again. Um, but a short a short film, one that I think, you know, especially with CGI, was going to get better with time, but still pretty solid performance from Lon Chaney Jr., who was going to become a big star in his own right. But um, we finish up here with our classic eight kind of you know there's plenty of universal monsters but we're really talking about the iconic one here fast forward to the 50s 1954 the creature from the black lagoon two actors actually played the creature you had ben chapman who played him when he was walking around on land and then recon browning was in the water who i'm assuming was a probably professional uh you know snorkeler or diver or some yep. sort because you know obviously it's very fluid in the water and that suit had to work to 
do these underwater scenes, which I'm sure were all shot right there at Universal Pictures in either the little small lagoon that's part of the tram tour or in that giant pool where they film a lot of their underwater stuff. Yeah, of course they would, they would do that for many years. And now this is great because we are getting into the, um, the more into the B movies of the 1950s mm-hmm. is when this is kind of like really the heart of that era when that started. And uh, of course this is going to inspire all those great, um, you know, these other underwater monster, you know, from the deep of kind of creatures. And uh, what, what Chris and I talked about was first of all, what's different i mean for black and white film the lighting is impressive because it is a lot more uh, this is very different than those other ones where it's very dark and the very gothic well, you can tell and- right away where well, a lot of the first films we talked about were in these sets i think they actually did film outside um you know there there is a part of the universal studios tram tour here in hollywood where there is this kind of big lake kind of looking thing and there's actually there's usually u-boats in there from u571 there's actually a section you go through where they do the parting the waters from uh, the movie with um, Charlton Heston. Ten Commandments? Ten Commandments. But they have, you know, there's these water sections and then there's, you know, they have these big pools that they use to film a lot of stuff underwater. But I think because we're in LA and there's a lot of, you know, little reserves and, you know, they didn't probably actually go to South America to film this, let's be no. real. Uh, but I think it's because a lot of that bright midday early part of the dime sun that it is a lot brighter than a lot of other movies it's not a lot about the dark night shots because the point of this film is we're in nature we're on this river cruise we're dealing with this creature from the deep so although it's called the black lagoon it's not a lot about like creepy creepy horror it's kind of like these funny shots of you seeing his arm a lot of shots of his arm honestly it's a lot of shots of the hand <laughs> and the arm and just grabbing but doesn't quite get there just to grab um, and a lot of shots are definitely reused in this film, especially there's one shot of his hand that's used probably like three, four times. And then there's like two or three shots of underwater where you just see the creature in the same exact position in like three different parts of the movie. <laughs> and yeah. I was like, I get it. It probably costs at that time, you know, who they were still discovering how to probably film underwater yeah. and make it, you know, and a ton of movies would start doing that, but it probably was a lot of money and in the time period even then movies are not they didn't have all the money like they kind of do now to make and the precautions of safety are a little different so i mean again you're filming someone who has to sometimes hold their breath underwater and some of the scuba Mm -hmm. equipment you know but yeah but i did like with some of the effects of yes it's kind of well lit so that you can see underwater but i did like use of the foliage and some of the grime and stuff so when he'd be like going through that was really cool where it wasn't it was a little bit kind of murky where you know, mm-hmm. and you have the classic uh, heroine as she's swimming through the waters and like, oh, I'm just going for a swim, which if that was filmed in the Amazon South America, I would not swim in these waters. No. You gotta be nuts. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> but uh, the creature actually, you know, especially for the time period, looks really, really cool. Oh, yes. It's got all these scales and, you know, it's got these webbed claws and it's got huge nails and it looks really cool. The only thing that actually doesn't work for me in the suit are the eyes. The eyes just don't read very well compared to, you know, we'll talk about later the kind of evolution of the kind of fish man kind of character. But it, it really holds up for the time period. And especially when it's like the underwater scenes, you don't see any zipper. You don't, you know, which a lot of those old movies, you would see stuff like that. 
they they probably really did a good idea of how to probably put pants on and then a kind of top that would cover some you know zipper action and it must have all been developed so that the person could breathe for a period of time come up to get some air and then film again you know because probably you know, i think there was also two different suits of course some of the land mm -hmm. a lot of the land scenes and then the swimming underwater scenes because you had to think there has to be a different mobility for oh, yeah. when he's out on land and when he's underwater. So I think that was, again, they were with, with costumes, this definitely took it a step further because they had to make something adaptable for the elements. But it was, it is funny though. Cause sometimes the movement is just like ridiculous and like slow or very fast, but then the kind of bulky, like, and the hands are so big and very out. Uh, and like the, the hands look way bigger than they should be at times. So, what like, do I do with my hands? Do I just yeah. do this? <laughs> but you know, it kind of holds up, and it's, I like that the movie ends, you know, they shoot them a few times, but they don't kill it because they're kind of understanding, like, it's just this is where it lives, it's its nature. And so, once again, the, the creature survives to live another day. But um, those are the eight kind of classic films we want to talk about in this first half. And of course, all these movies would they branch off to have various sequels, spin-offs, crossovers, and influence a huge amount of creature and monster movies to come, which we're going to get to right after this. Hey, look now, Mr. Broadhurst. What are you doing? You should be entertaining our guests. Oh, I love the monster pictures. Well, we all love the monster pictures. And they're all here for the big premiere, right? Why, certainly. It's quite the thrill, isn't it? Now, Mr. Broadhurst, can you remind me of all their names? Because I don't want to mix things up here. Sure, sure. Now, pay attention. I don't want to have to repeat myself. Right over there, that's Dr. Jack Griffin. Where? Right there. There's no one there, Mr. Broadhurst. He's right over there. I don't see anyone! That's because he's the Invisible Man. Listen, over there is Frankenstein and the creature. Oh, yes, from the Black Lagoon. No, that's a different creature. Funny, they both got the same name. Well, you can tell them apart as the creature doesn't look like a giant amphibian. I don't know, Frankenstein looks pretty green. No, 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 that's a common misconception. That tall fellow is the creature. He was brought to life by Frankenstein. All it took was a hot dog and a beer? No, you idiot, not Frankenstein, Frankenstein, Dr. Frankenstein. Okay, okay. Uh, who is the nice lady next to them? That's the bride of Frankenstein. Wow, good on the dock. She's got lovely hair. That's not his bride. It's the creature's bride. But you said the bride of Frankenstein. I know what I said. Don't you see the bolts on the side of her neck? Then why isn't she the bride of the creature? Ask Hobart. <laughs> Who's that all wrapped up over there? That's Mummy. What, your Mummy? She looks ancient. No, the Mummy. The Mummy of who? What on earth are you talking about? The Mummy. That's the mummy! The mummy of who? That's what I want to know! That's the mummy! That's a man, not a mother, you imbecile! He says mummy, oh boy, oh... Now, you see that gentleman over there? Count Dracula. Count him for what? Count Dracula. I did count him. What? He's accounted for. What do you mean? I counted Dracula! No, that's his title, you fool! He's a count! Count Dracula! Then why didn't you say that? All right, calm down. That's enough out of you. Hmm. Well, I'm sorry, Mr. Broadhurst. Some of these monsters are hard to remember. But look, I think got an intruder. That guy just walked in. He's super scary. And hairy. That's the wolf man. Are you sure, Mr. Broadhurst? Maybe he hasn't shaved in a while. Why, sure it is. 
Don't you see the teeth? That protruding nose even has claws. I guess you're right. Thanks, Mr. Broadhurst. Guess it's time to mingle. You'll do fine. Just remember to think before you go and speak to the true stars here. I'll go start with that masked gentleman over there. Oh, yes. Big fan. Tom. What? Hey, you only said half his name, so look who's correcting you now. What are you talking about? I said I'm a big fan. Tom. Fan. Tom. I know his name is the Phantom. <laughs> wow. That was, uh, that was entertaining. <laughs> oh, that looks great. Those guys I, are just, they're so funny. It, it still holds up. It still holds, still holds up. up. I mean, oh, gosh, man. that came out what, like 43, 44? Yeah, I don't even remember seeing about that. That was like the lost edition or something like that, but mm -hmm. good stuff. But uh, good stuff. Good to be back here again. I was so cool talking about um, all these films. And of course, we did hint about this throughout our discussion it's hard not to go off on these rabbit holes as we said there's mm -hmm. so much to talk about but what we wanted to come back to is talk about obviously because these movies are so iconic what they have done and the legacy that they've created because you know we're looking at since the 1920s till this is 2020 you know almost over 100 years of filmmaking it's mm -hmm. it's incredible it's incredible and you know you think nowadays how many movies have been made it's ginormous you know it's like i don't think you can watch everything that's ever been made in your lifetime it's just that much has been produced so and a genre that has from time to time again had so much in terms of films tv books video games you name it is the horror genre there's so many uh there's so many branches because you got psychological horror you got monster horror you got slasher horror you got you know all this stuff so and a little bit of an in tween of course and uh, and even a family-friendly comedy horror so yeah uh yeah we want to talk about the legacy of these films that you know without films like these and what they the success they had and what they did for not only uh inspiring filmmakers but also inspiring a new kind of version of horror to come uh also the storytelling and the makeup yes exactly and again time era where everything was practical you know they didn't have any computer graphics and you know and nowadays we have so much of that which makes it a lot more realistic combining makeup with cgi or props or transformations is a definitely a big thing that uh, we can do with cgi but i want to go down here and again kind of go off of some creatures that some actually mishmash into we talked about kind of crossovers and there's many that have come out in the last couple decades as well but starting off with our, our our bad boy original here mr phantom well of course the most well you know up until uh the COVID halt uh the longest running broadway show of all time the phantom of the opera the andrew Lloyd weber musical and there's another musical called phantom as well those are probably the two most well-known renditions of the phantom story in the yes. last you know 30 years which has also inspired we had a movie with gerald butler but um, that kind of story, I mean, I'm sure there's been other films of the time, especially those earlier 30s, 40s, 50s. But that's kind of the big what's inspired the Phantom story is the Phantom of the Opera. That's yes. kind of been the big, I mean, a musical that's been produced in multiple countries, multiple languages. And so we get more of the gothic romance in that. It's not so we are, meant to be the horror element, you know. And we also um, get, of course, I think, what's more iconic of the, the original movie that 
inspired so much today, I think, is the makeup itself and that look mm-hmm. of horror. I mean, you think in the 1920s when this came out, that frightened a lot of audience members when you see his face for the first time and it was reported that people fainted <laughs> seeing that. And I mean, I get that reaction when we wake up in the morning, people see me getting my mail. But, uh, you know, there to create such an iconic imagery, but that that you're right, that gothic romance, I think that in itself has inspired so many movies to this day. Oh, yeah. I mean, you look at something like uh, Beauty and the Beast is a similar, you know, storyline of this kind of creature, you know, beast that has kind of found this love for this girl and she having to find the love for the creature which is the big thing about phantom is that even though he's this creepy guy and he's got this face is christine ultimately finds a love for him which is why in the end he lets them go that's a big you know kind of that that overline um arc but um i've been surprised that you know apart from the musical there's been no like modern day like just dark movie like no musical yeah non-musical i think that would have been it would be interesting, especially since that was so long ago that all these other movies had all these sequels and had their, and still are creating stuff today that uh, there's not been a chance to do that. I guess <laughs> the only one that was not musical, <laughs> and it's kind of a play on it, and we talked about this and kind of mentioned this when we were talking about our Halloween uh, to screen. Mm-hmm. I think it's for the kids, the Phantom of the Megaplex. <laughs> Phantom of the Megaplex, which is a fun you know, this young kid who's working at a movie theater is about to be a big premiere and this phantom keeps haunting and causing mayhem. And it's actually a really fun, cute version of, yeah, somewhat inspired by the Phantom of the Opera. Um, but you're right. Uh, moving on from him, we have the, I was next going to the mummy. Um, we've had mummies in a lot of kind of classic like cartoons. Uh, you know, you got your Scooby-Doo, a lot of cartoons that deal with Halloween episodes or uh, the mummy is a, a classic iconic creature. Usually one that you don't, doesn't speak is all wrapped up in toilet paper, you know, yeah. tissue paper and just moans um, and just moans and is chasing things around has like usually very, very, very similar to Frankenstein. It was just there pretty much eyes, but kind of, uh, kind of synonymous, synonymous mm-hmm. can't speak. <laughs> but the big, the big definitely surprise remake came out, I believe it was 1997 was uh, The Mummy starring Brendan Fraser, which the story is exactly the inspiration from the original Mummy with Boris Karloff is this mummy is brought back to life and is seeking to try to find a way to bring back his long lost love. But we get this whole kind of extended story with our kind of Harrison Ford type action star, Brendan Fraser, Rick O'Connell, and we have... um, this, this lovely girl along with us, Evelyn, who knows so much about the history of Egypt. And they kind of are put together under these circumstances to try to stop this mummy. And this is the first time we're seeing a mummy movie with like, especially at the time, huge budget and huge CGI effects. And well, this is the, yeah, this is a turn of, you know, this going into 2000. I mean, mm-hmm. this is right to the end of the 90s. And also right then and there, you see a great, a pairing where you got the strong hair uh, hero and the very small, a smart, spunky heroine. Where she's mm-hmm. not so much a damsel all the time. Where she can no, she she holds her own a lot, and that was really well put into that because instead of having the typical save me, save me, she's doing just as much as he is, and it's just still one of my favorite, like just you know, 
popcorn summer flicks that it's got the great elements of it's got there's a lot of real jump scares that horror there's I mean, that very old, and especially because uh you know imhotep is terrifying because he oh. does start off a very undead mummy and as he's slowly gaining power he's just gross i mean his face can grow like three feet long he's got like scarab beetles and he's sucking the souls know, from these he did, he, yeah that, that poor guy loses his eyes and his tongue he's oh like, my, oh, my god tongue. Uh, and um, then the scarab beetles and like mm-hmm. the the elements so you have that i mean this again years later after indiana jones then inspired before that of the 1930 serials where in conjunction because it was all around the same time with the mummy you have that great swashbuckling adventure you got the horror elements but also what was so great about the humor it just oh had my perfect- gosh the humor was like perfect and it really added those funny moments, like, you know, for example, I love the moment when uh, you get, like, the four, like, kind of skeleton guards, the mummy guards, kind of, you know, like, and they go, ah, oh, and you got this huge, oh, actually, it's Rick O'Connell goes, yeah. ah, at them first, and then they scream back, and he's like, gotta go, you know, it's like, or, or, like, or, like, or, like, just poking fun at the, the hot, the horror elements where they're, like, sitting there, like, you know, anytime a book is open or a chest mm-hmm. is unlocked, like, the wind, and yeah. he's like, that happens a lot around here, like, yeah. it just it kind of poke fun. <laughs> added as well and it I was think, it was it was oh. just great and it led to you know two sequels you had the mummy returns uh which came out a few years later and then we had the mummy what was it called like the uh two uh it was the tomb of the dragon emperor or, or something like that which was yeah. uh gently um so you know that right there you know you got three films plus because of the success of the second film the mummy yeah. returns which included the rock Kind of hit one of his first earlier roles. It was kind of one of his big King. breakout role. Yeah. Almost. Then he got to then become, he you know did the Scorpion King spinoff movie, which then led on to multiple movies not starring The Rock. A lot of these you know not so good movies. <laughs> but um, as I said, you know we've had we've had these renditions of mummies and tons of things. You know we had Under Wraps we talked about last week in the yes another, another great decom shout out. There you go. Uh, moving on to our little vampire man, the Dracula. This is probably the I would say the most movies have been based off of Dracula because there's so many vampire flicks. And I mean, like absolutely from romantic action to really creepy horror to, yeah, we have a lot of vampire movies. Of course we had the great, uh, just Dracula pictures themselves. You had Christopher Lee had a good long run as Dracula. Uh, Gary Oldman had a great run as uh, Dracula. Uh, We had the kind of, the, the last one that came out probably what like six seven years ago we had dracula untold with luke yes. evans that was a lot more of a kind of action-based dracula movie but we've had you know interview with the vampire you had the blade movies you had the twilight movies um you've had uh uh 30 days of night which i just rewatched. and you know so many vampire type and of movies. course going into other genres where you know we talked about like the blade series you know blade, and- i mean which is a fun vampire movie that uh they do in the third film include dracula but dracula is this like ultimate villain that is you know action-packed fighting it's not so much the gothic horror let me come and you know uh but we have also the underworld films which this will combine uh talking about vampires and talking about the wolf man you know the werewolves we have more of the modern crossovers the lichens as they're called uh um those are a cool series because it is like uh again this mix of 
two very important creatures and this kind of budding war between vampires and werewolves which we also you know that's a big thing touched on in the twilight films is although uh, it's true so much blood as well true and... blood oh great series true blood and yes. so um the lichens i love that the lichens in the underworld series are like really big you know yeah. sometimes you think well if you're going to turn to a wolf are you just your same height just you have now longer limbs do you have longer feet or do you get like like the lichens become huge they're like yes. huge brutes but the vampires are, are is per usual they're like elves they're very quick and they're very fast so yeah. that's kind of the quick fun and yes quick and nimble the action of that but with the wolf man you have uh two movies actually like you have the classic american werewolf in london one of my favorite uh films which think about where and we talked about this where all these movies and amazing special effects and makeup this movie set the standard for things to come uh the transformation man oh that scene awesome. not only is incredible it's just painful to watch because it is a very long very long. intense scene <laughs> yes. uh, yeah it's long and just to see him go through this the fact that that's like that is the highlight of the film and of course that would go on to inspire uh the makeup in michael jackson's thriller Mm-hmm. Uh, and the, that whole transformation in there so the werewolf series unlike vampires has not had a ton or as much but i will say it has had its day with a lot of films of course we had years later not too long ago several years ago we had a remake of the wolfman which you shot I del was toro a, yes very yeah. faithful adaptation mm-hmm. very bloody course, yes but oh. you know cgi they had, a, much... they had an unrated version too which mm-hmm. i was like Yes. But you know, when you have the CGI is so much better now to really show these transformations, it really, it really shows that kind of authentic what it would actually look like. You know, we've had so many funny versions because of the time era, and um, I thought you know that held up pretty well, even if it wasn't it wasn't reviewed very well, unfortunately. But you know, again, critics are critics. You as the viewer, you make your own opinion, and I it's a film I do enjoy. Now, a film that I think has had a lot of backlash because it's so over the top, a huge crossover film. After the success of the Mummy movies, Stephen Summers decided to make a film version of Van Helsing, who Van Helsing is known in a lot of these classic films as, especially, you know, he's from the Bram Stoker's Dracula novel, is this kind of doctor that knows and kind of studies eerie weird things and he kind of knows about vampires and so he's kind of like an enemy to dracula well they kind of took that and it's like let's turn it up let's make him a crazy awesome action hero who's gonna fight dracula the 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 wolf man uh dracula's brides dr jekyll mr hyde and other things and it's just this way crazy over the top bonkers like I liked it as, a, as you know, I think when it came out, I was like in high school. So like it was yeah. just this weird, funny, like bizarre movie. But watching it again, it's like <laughs> I love all these horror movies and I want to make the ultimate combo movie. But it's like way too much. Involved. It, yeah, just overload. And it just didn't it didn't go didn't flow well. Um, but yeah, Van Helsing is such a such an iconic character that uh, and uh, of course, um and well, I, well, we can talk about this right now. We could jump right into another great crossover not too many years ago, which I really loved, uh, was, of course, uh, based on a series that was the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, mm-hmm. uh, which you get you get a great combination of these iconic characters. 
And I thought that was great because this was like, again, this is before, you know, you got the Avengers movies and everything where you've got these big, you know, team ups. And I think there's something so exciting about that. And again, we'll talk about this again, that these movies inspired these crossovers. It, it's just that something about you when you watch a sh- your favorite show or movie, you want to see them duke it out. And of course, that would inspire all these other horror, you know, uh, crossovers. Some maybe not so good. Some they should create. Um, I actually like League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. I think it has yeah, a lot I lo- of oh, fun I really it, yeah. elements to it. It's great character choice. I mean, you got you got Tom Sawyer. You got the Invisible Man is a character. We have this kind of classic vampire. We have Doctor Jekyll, Mister Hyde. Doctor Jekyll, Mister Hyde. You have yeah, Dorian Captain Gray, Nemo. Captain Nemo, and then you have Sean Connery in there, and. It is a fun, like, you know, team movie with this, these great action sequences and it's different. And I like that it's not, it's not a polished movie. And I think had it had more legs and been a little more on the positive side with critics, they probably would have made sequels. But it's one of those, like, I hope now it's been long enough that we, we're due for a reboot of that source material. Because I think, especially the people nowadays that are doing these, you know, new takes on TV and film, there's a lot of smart writers out there. So I think a new version would be a lot of fun. Yeah. Another thing about the invisible man is you had hollow man uh, with Kevin Bacon, which was kind of a creepy horror take of a kind of modern. I mean, it was in the two thousands, but it is mm-hmm. the sci-fi, you know, um, he finds a serum that makes him invisible and then he uses it to get his kicks sexually, but also he starts to go crazy and murder yeah. people. And it's in those horror movies, but also think about, you know, look at the invisible man and the time of, you know, soon after comics were going to start being made, uh, being invisible is a big superpower for a couple of superheroes. So, like, that never would have been a thing either had we not had inspiration from No, you wouldn't have had the Invisible Woman, uh, you know, with the Fantastic Four. And mm-hmm. that wouldn't have inspired all these other, you know, different things as super, uh, you know, of course, we're talking about the boys. You know, you got Translucent. I mean, <laughs> you wouldn't have had these uh, superheroes or these parodies of superheroes and all that. And Going back to uh, talking about Frankenstein, um, we've had a couple. We had like that one with Aaron Eckhart, I Frankenstein, I think it was called. Yeah. Where it's like super action packed. Again, but these before kind of. Before that, did you ever see? Do you remember they had it was in the 90s, I believe 94, 95, and it was a Frankenstein. It was. Um, De Niro, right? What? Yeah, De Niro, where De Niro played the monster. And you're Kenneth Br- uh, Branagh. Hey. It's me. Yeah. You talking <laughs> to me? You putting <laughs> bolts in my neck? Yeah, putting bolts <laughs> in my neck. Um, yeah, I do remember that film. Um, and again, not one that we've had kind of, uh, you know, a new rendition of, but you also have uh, one I actually really like is there's been this adapted work of Frankenstein to the stage that is a, it's a, it's a very small cast, but the main two players um, trade off every night as either the Frankenstein or the creature. And that was a really cool like concept because you know you're taking this classic novel, adapting it to a play and making it very visceral and making it all about birth. You know, this creature is birthed and then how it learns to cope in this world, how it learns to accept life. It was a really cool uh, thing. We've also had like kid stuff like yeah, there was it was well um, talk about the comedy el- the comedy el- Transylvania, el- right? Uh, yes, and of course and then Mel Brooks. If- and Mel Brooks, we got to give a shout out to Young Frankenstein, which <laughs> Young uh, Frankenstein, and also I, I'm a big fan too of Dracula Dead and Loving It that he yes, made with Le- 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 Leslie Nielsen. Yes, Leslie Nielsen, which is a lot of fun. Both great 
stabs at parodying and you know doing a lot of honor of what these classic films were like just playing the humor of which is why I actually was so fun watching Bride of Frankenstein there's a lot of scenes in that that are straight parodies right into Young Frankenstein that was just you know I was reminded of the the blind hermit and Gene Hackman where are you going I was gonna make espresso (laughs) it's like (laughs) just so classic um, but uh, Hotel Transylvania, you know, that's been a big franchise. Adam Another Sandler, great crossover. Animated wow. comic that, you know, this idea that Dracula runs a hotel for monsters and it's yeah. got all these classics. It's like this, this oasis where, the, you know, and you get a mall and just this great parody of all of them, of the mm-hmm. mummy and uh, Wolfman. It's just, it's, it's great fun for the family. And, uh, and it's also fun because, you know, in typical Sandler fashion, it's a lot of his friends and buddies from his SNL days. You know, people you see in a lot of his movies are the ones voicing all these characters. So it's fun to see those kind of films are they're still plain humor about the lore, but the circumstance makes it kind of funny that he's running this hotel. Now going to the creature from the Black Lagoon, you did kind of mention that it was a start of these kind of pictures that were creatures of the deep. You know, we never would have had Jaws without... Piranha, you know, the beast where you had the giant squid. And of course they had one about a killer whale. Um, all these... Even Godzilla, you know, I would say has spans of, you know, coming out of the deep. But you look at the legacy to the last decade or so, or actually probably decade and a half, kind of what Hellboy brought of really the modern day version of the creature from the Black Lagoon. You know, that was such a cool idea of of smart intelligent you know abe sapien that has this yeah. he's this creature from the deep but it's a lot more fluid a lot and we had you know again the idea of a costume mixed with cgi really plays it off but then we lead to our our, our really latest rendition that is an oscar-winning rendition and it's is, a no it's a really it's inspired of course from this movie directly Gilman the Dose shape Cars. of water yeah yes which is a what beautiful a flick love story instead of the you know scary the creature stealing the woman it's it's the woman and the creature coming together and it's and it's also very the beauty and the beast kind of story as well Mm -hmm. so there is there's a lot of great those elements and um a little bit of backtrack of course i told you this before we were recording this one today of course other superhero lore with the creature goon would think like swamp thing Mm -hmm. and uh, some of those other ones uh so it is definitely had quite a legacy but not so much directly uh, related to the creature itself, where I think it's inspired a lot more uh, odes to or spinoffs that would not have been there if not for that cinematography and that creation, that idea of something lurking beneath the surface. Which is still something that creeps us out to this day because as humans, we're still, although we love going to the beach and we love- Oh yeah, I love the, the frolic, ocean. you know? And then- I, I love the so, frolic in the water. A but piece of seaweed rose, like, what was that? <laughs> there's always that idea of when you start going too deep anything can be below you and that really creeps you out now there's been this long long legacy of you know horror films and other f- stuff that's been inspired by these classic films but we're in this new age this new era of this potential dark universe and we're going to get to that right after this prepare for a return to the original horrors of the night dracula wolfman the mummy whatever Chris is right. I shouldn't be afraid. Some of the most terrifying figures of horror to come to your front door. Who's at the door? Hey, how should I know? What am I, a mind reader? Go see for yourself. 
Potential Pictures presents Chris and Taylor meet the door-to-door salesman. Hello there. Have I got a deal for you? <gasps> Don't answer it. Plus, the pushy, diminutive, and adorable Girl Scouts of America. Are you guys hungry? How about some Thin Mints? Go away! I'm on a diet! Jeesh! All this for a podcast? And even the tucked-in, well-groomed shirts of the Bible salesman. Well, hello there, my good gentleman. Are you ready to hear about the good word? Hey, what's that over there? Alright, time to move. Enjoy one of the most frighteningly funny movies you have to see to believe. Ah! Run, don't walk to theaters now. Potential Pictures presents Chris and Taylor Meet the Door-to-Door Salesman. Now playing nationwide. I, 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 I can't see that. I can't see that film. It's gonna... It's too I, I real. Wonder. It's too real. It's, I, I, that, that just, oh my gosh. I, I need to go take a cold shower and I'm sleeping <laughs> the lights on. There you go. Well, to finish off today's episode and kind of wrap up our Halloween season, we, we've had this kind of new take at some of these classics and we had, you know, this idea that Universal was going to try to redo, you know, big thing you mentioned earlier, which is really great to talk about. Right now, the big thing, because of what Marvel did, is having this shared universe, having multiple projects all be together as one, and to make a film that, you know, eventually would maybe have all of these monsters in it for whatever reason. Well, we started off with The Mummy. It was the first kind of new stab at a dark universe. This was a new take of The Mummy, starring Tom Cruise. I did not see this movie. Because I heard it was terrible. I did see it um, because it was. It was what, what were your thoughts? I heard it was not good. No, well, this is we, as you could hear from our uh, audience, you could hear from our earlier talk. We were huge fans of uh, Brendan Fraser's The Mummy. Of course, I will watch that days on end. Comparing that to this was the problem with this movie is, again, I think right off the bat, I love Tom Cruise and a lot of his work, but this is not a, a Tom Cruise vehicle. It was. Uh, it more was a Tom Cruise film than a, you know, mummy movie. And I think the problem with it, because they wanted to change everything completely, mm-hmm. you know, they made the whole plot was a lot different uh, than the original, the other two. And I think that's what made, made it harder to swallow. I thought you're not really rooting for any of the characters. You don't feel for anyone where there's not, there's not the chemistry between the two leads. So right off the bat, that, that was the problem. I think the, the casting was a problem, the plot wise, and uh, some of the effects I thought, where you go back to what made the mummy so great. And then of course the original was the, the dialogue, the chemistry and the effects. And again, that's 19, it was actually 1999, the original mummy. And now we're oh, here yeah. in the, yeah, sorry. Uh, I, I, had to, I did my research, I went back and checked. This mummy, you know, again, we're, you know, the 2000, um, coming out here 2020, the late, you know, 2010s, that, you know, this movie, the the effects weren't as good in in comparison. And that's kind of sad, you know, years later, 
you know, over 10 years later, you see this, you know, difference. So, but it was clear, like in your opinion that they were trying to concentrate too much on making it a Tom Cruise action flick. That's what I, as opposed to a mummy movie. Yeah. You know, the mummy movies with Brendan Fraser. Yeah. There's a lot of fun action, but the biggest thing above all is there's tons of lore. There's so much about the creature and how it's, how it's easy to follow. It's It's well established. And it wasn't in the Tom Cruise film. No, it's now I know that, um, I know that Russell Crowe was Dr. Jekyll slash Mr. Hyde, correct? So that was kind of the start of what they were doing is like a little bit of a, a Tom Cruise goes to him for guidance about a little dark and mysterious where things, at right? the very Towards the very end, all of a sudden, this is revealed. Oh, okay. Oh, that that's that doctor. You know, they're, they don't mm-hmm. reveal until the very end. So like, okay, I see where this is going. And then when they end it, then they're like, this is the start. And they put too many eggs in this basket to do it. And I think that was- Yeah, because I think I think- it almost basically killed off the dark universe right off the bat. It was this idea that, you know, they had ideas of Johnny Depp was in talks about doing a new invisible man. And they probably had other stars lined up to do, you know, all the classic characters to make eventually a film where all of them were in it, but the mummy just did not take off like they expected. So they kind of had to hush hush that away, but we did have last uh, earlier this year, not last year, we had Blumhouse did a new take on The Invisible Man, and it was awesome. I was blown away how, how much I enjoyed it because we saw the trailer and I was a little nervous about it because I was like, okay, is this going to be like Hollow Man? Is what it was, but I was like, I'm hoping this is going to be better than Hollow Man. I think this is going to be very good suspense. Yeah, I, I, we won't really go into spoilers here for that because it's still fairly new, but it was a smart way to tell... Uh, a similar story but, but a they, modern audience a modern audience and also modern technology i'll put it that way it's yeah. not some it's not some potion that you know it's not magic yeah which i think was really very uh, very know. based in science and and a little mm. bit more reality but great great performances you got elizabeth moss is kind of our main girl who you know she thinks that she's she's had this really kind of tormented um boyfriend that yeah, is you yeah, know abusive relationship and abusive relationship for her life. and um all of a sudden he just disappears one day and so it the whole world thinks that he's dead and then she starts to see him but as if he's invisible and so that's kind of where the you know she's being haunted by him but he's invisible and yeah. so it's a great kind of spin on it's not some mad scientist you know going around trying to just cause mayhem it's is is he real is this all in her head you know a lot of people think she's crazy and at least to a lot of great scenes it's just incredible performances and I, I really enjoyed it and i was like okay take that movie now let's make some other ones in the same style but for these other creatures and then let's make a avengers movie with these creatures you know because they could easily if you you build enough of these horror movies where Yes, you're getting your dastardly villains. Well, you also have these heroes that could come together at the end of the day to fight off these villains, you know. So who knows what else really is going to come out? I've heard rumors about a new Dracula, you know, a new Wolfman, even a new Frankenstein. So the source material is always going to be there. And doing a faithful adaptation is, for some people, hard to follow because it's like, we've already seen that. But I think we've done so many left turns now in the last like 30, 40 years that we kind of want to go back to the basics and do a well successful version of the basics. Cause even like the movies, like uh, 
like look at a uh, Francis Ford Coppola's version of Dracula with Gary Oldman. Yes. It does follow the book, but it's like, it's so bonkers. Sometimes it's so crazy in that film that I'm like, okay, let's tone that down. Like I, I the imagery of that original version with Bella Lugosi, you kind of want the simplicity of that, but with the technology we have today, the CGI of today. Yeah, you know, where he turned into a proper bat, not something rubber on a stick, you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I, I completely agree because I actually, when we were going to talk about this, I went back and watched and I was like, God, this movie is nuts. Like, what is going on here? Yeah. So, you know, I, I'm hopeful that because these characters are so iconic, I mean, and you look at like, not even just talking about movies and TV, you look at like the theme parks, you know, especially Universal Studios has had, unfortunately not this year because of COVID, but, you know, they have their Halloween Horror Nights, which always has these fun mazes and other theme parks around the world do these kind of stuff. But especially Universal, because they own the rights to them, they often do a classic monster maze. And I've actually been, the one in uh, Hollywood's really cool because they actually have a big house that is, a lot of the original sets straight from these classic movies. Oh, that is awesome. You're going, really? you're going through, you're going through, you know, the laboratory where Frankenstein was, was created the monster. And then guys on stilts who are looking like Frankenstein are attacking you. And like, you know, it's, it's such a fun maze. Cause it's combining all these classic creatures. And, you know, that's a big part of those theme parks have these, you know, these, these characters. And that's been in. going on since like beginning of the nineties, pretty much. Right. Oh yeah. And even like, you know, they they talk about um, when you go on the tram tour, you know, you see some of the classic sets where some of the stuff was created and they have a whole montage or they did for a long time of classic monsters from all the eras of Universal. And it leads up to a cool section about the mummy. And, you know, it's just like they're never going to be forgotten. And I hope that we are going to get a new kind of rehash a remake or a full new original idea with these characters in this lore because it's so entertaining to keep watching this material if it's done right absolutely and i think continuing to bring to life what made the original the og movie monsters so iconic and memorable but using really great effects to this day and also adding the right amount of horror because we've seen uh, throughout the 80s and 90s and early 2000s that there has been some great adaptations that have a really good blend of of the humor, the characters, the dialogue, but also that still that horror element that, you know, edge of your seat, uh, but you can't look away. And I, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what they do because I, I don't think that the Universal movie monsters are done just yet. For sure. So of course, if you really want to, you know, take a little time machine trip back, we highly recommend you check out these films. You know, I'm sure there's DVD collections you can find, or some of them are available on the streaming services. But it's just fun to take a, you know, take what, you know, a look at what really inspired such a legacy of uh, not only horror but definitely in cinema. And they're, you know, entertaining films, and most of them are only about 70 minutes long. You know, they're not long films, so. You can get quite a few done in a day. That's what we you, did last week. Yeah, you can be, do a horror, uh, cl- classic horror movie binge if you'd like. <laughs> but, um, you know, that kind of, this this is our last episode of October. So we're looking forward to getting into November here. But we, we hope you all have a happy Halloween, but also a safe Halloween. 
remember if you're going out and about or going to go to a party or go meet up with friends and stuff just remember to be safe and if you should be out and about have your mask whether it's a halloween mask or whatever kind of mask as long as it covers that face of yours and your nose you're gonna have a good time hey and if you know what you uh don't really want those trick-or-treaters leave the box of candy out there leave the note take one they won't follow it but hey it's the thought that counts <laughs> there it is so thanks for listening guys and we will be back next week in november have a happy happy halloween <laughs> how long do we laugh for <laughs> i don't know <laughs> i think we're done thanks for listening to the potential podcast you can follow us on instagram and facebook at the potential podcast or on twitter at the potential pod or you can email us send us your positive feedback and thoughts suggestions and more through our email the Potential Podcast at Yahoo.com. I'm your host, Chris Dewar. And I'm your host, Taylor Sokol. Stay tuned for more episodes on pop culture, entertainment, and nerdum. And remember, know, know your, your potential. potential.